This episode and all of our South by Southwest coverage is brought to you by Vimeo, the new home for 360 video. Hi, everybody. This is Liz Nord, and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. Climbing mountains while filming an unbroken shot, scaling the sides of skyscrapers, hanging out of moving cars trying to grab footage, these are only some of the feats that cinematographers have to face in the line of duty. And the three DPs on the show with me today have lived to tell the tales. Barely. At South by Southwest last month, I spoke with three cinematographers with three very different films in the festival. Autumn Aiken shot Jessica M. Thompson's realist contemporary film, The Light of the Moon, which won the Narrative Feature Audience Award at the festival. James Axel West shot Adam Kellerman's stylish 70s referencing drama, Easy Living, and Shane King shot Jennifer M. Crute's feature documentary, The Untold Tales of Armistead Mopen, which won the Audience Award in the festival's documentary spotlight section. I think you'll really enjoy our conversation about their favorite gear, what DPs can do to stand out offset, how they make room for their actors or subjects in vulnerable situations, and, of course, the shoots that almost killed them. So let's jump in. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I would like everyone to start by introducing yourself so that uh, our listeners can hear your voices. And so tell us your name and the film you have here at South by Southwest. Um, my name is Autumn Aiken. Um, I was the cinematographer on The Light of the Moon, which is in narrative feature competition. Hi, I'm James West. I'm the cinematographer for Easy Living, which is in the narrative spotlight um, category of South by Southwest. And I'm Shane King, and I shot... The Untold Tales of Armistead Maupin. And I'm not exactly sure how it's in the festival. I mean, what it's a documentary. It is. it is a documentary. It's definitely a documentary. In lieu of having you describe the films, what I would like to hear is how the director describes sort of their vision of the film to you and then how you went about pulling it off. So I worked with the director before. I edited, I did sound on her previous film, To Be Decay, and then... Um, and then did a bunch of editing on the film as well. And what's the, edit, the director's name? Jennifer Crute. Um, and so, yeah, she asked if I would be interested in shooting this documentary for her, and I was very excited and uh, leapt at the opportunity. And then I said, let's, you know, we should probably sit down and talk about what kind of look you want. And she, she kind of looked at me funny, and she was like, Really? Okay. <laughs> so apparently she hadn't done that with her previous uh, DPs. So, um, yeah, so I just grabbed a bunch of stuff off the internet, a bunch of pictures, and sat down with her, and we talked about, you know, different um, lenses I could use. Mostly it was, it was mostly about lighting, how to light the interviews. Um, and we decided on a pretty dramatic look and then we were you know traveling across the country and shooting a bunch of interviews in random locations and so you know there were a lot of compromises from that extremely dramatic look that we were going for but it it definitely pushed us in a particular direction yeah so i i've worked with adam before on two short films and, this and that's your director feature, adam adam the, yeah the director of of easy living and we worked on two short films before this feature and he called this feature kind of his trilogy his third part of this trilogy this ongoing 
narrative that he's been he's been uh, wanting to tell. So there's we've had probably going back about eight eight years of looking at a lot of films together, and and it's usually films from the '70s and '60s, and you know a lot of Fassbender, like The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kent, and um, and then with Easy Living, he actually just put together a lookbook and sent that with the script to me, and uh, and we had uh, the films like Fat City and um, Three Women, Robert Altman's Three Women, and Wanda, which is more, you know, I think the story, this this story about the woman. Uh, I don't know if any, any of you have seen Wanda, but it's... Oh, yeah, and Fat City uh, yeah. as well. Those are, those, I mean, those are both very diff- yeah. different types of films, but that's a great... If you're doing that kind of ref- visual, yeah. visual reference, I mean it's a dream come true for me because working with him in the past and then just being able to look at these films and I, I just love getting into that kind of design and style. So he really brought you a pretty specific vision. Yeah, and it's it's just been ongoing for a long time, and uh, and I just know. Got, I guess I've gotten to kind of know his vision, so it really helps, and and I love try to bring that to life uh, for him in the story. And and uh, it's a lot of fun. So. And what about you, Autumn? Um, well, Jessica Thompson is the writer-director of The Light of the Moon, and she she and I actually met um, years before on, on a set with, of uh, Love, Marilyn, which is a documentary, um, and she was an associate editor on it, and I was, a, I was operating on it. So... We both have documentary in documentaries in our backgrounds. Her as an, mainly as an editor. This is her first um, narrative feature, and um, you know, so we we had a kinship already, and a lot of our early discussions were really centered around um, how to create a, a polished, cinematic enough world. Um, but still very naturalistic and very real because we're following Bonnie, who's this protagonist. Um, she's in every scene. We are up in her face, you know, a lot. Um, and so a lot of it was, um, you know, more visually striking films than we ended up going with in the beginning as far as, you know, sort of like Beasts of the Southern Wild is a perfect example Um because of its sort of naturalistic um, and the way that it's shot um, in a freeform kind of style, um, and we, you know, talked talked a lot about about those look those visual kinds of boards, and then just for me personally, you know, it was more kind of about like referencing um, like Hal Ashbery, um, Hal Ashby's um, like Coming Home and films like that that are uh, and Shampoo that are cinematic but still um kind of raw and natural it doesn't distract the viewer um to like get involved with this real human Mm. um and you're not drawn away by the visuals that's actually a great segue i'll start with you again but we'll go back around the circle (laughs) um each of your films in its own way has these very intimate moments with its uh protagonists even in the doc situation many times docs you're you know it's even more intimate because it's real life um and as the dp you all are the folks kind of closest to the subject 
other than the director. So what's your kind of approach or strategy in, in those, in the more very, you know, raw personal kind of moments that you're shooting? Oh, um, definitely. If you can have act real conversations with the actor beforehand, um, especially for this film, particularly Stephanie Beatrice is the lead who plays Bonnie and, you know, it's a very, uh, she's a victim of sex, of sexual assault and it's a very intimate portrait. We are following her, you know, for these six weeks post this assault and it's very, very true and very vulnerable. Um, so I think that the production team, um, you know, did a very smart thing and had everyone meet before like cast and crew and things like that and, and hang out and discuss, um, and get a feel for each other. And even with Michael Stahl David, who plays her, her boyfriend, you know, we, there are some pretty intimate sex scenes, things like that, where, um, you know, I also shoot documentaries. So it's, I'm very, very used to asking people (laughs) to trust me, um, to film their most intimate parts of their life. Um, and I, you know, I think that if you can connect with that actor as you know, Stephanie Beatrice and not Bonnie first. That always helps. Um, and just to, to sort of have a dialogue that I understand what position you are being put in right now. Um, and I'm, I'm here for you and I'm here with you. And, you know, that goes a long way to in the moment when you're uh, in a room, she only has underwear on, the sheets falling off, you know, whatever. It's like, no, no, I got you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to protect you, um, you know, in whatever way, whether that means like tilting up a little bit or, you know, not letting, not letting, uh, you know, whatever happen. It's just, there's a, there's something really important to me about having some sort of conversation before we get to the nitty gritty. Yeah. I think, like Autumn said here, I, th- I think trust is, so huge i mean with a narrative or a documentary um because you know i I think i just come in and i I just try to be a a regular guy with actors i don't i don't you know bow down to them in any way or pretend like i I just try to just be a regular guy with them and and i think that helps the director trust me a lot and i think that helps when i meet the actors and yeah there's a lot of intimate scenes and easy living. I don't know. I think I'm kind of a quiet guy too. And I think I've heard actors say like, I didn't even know you were there, you know, and I, I'll, I operate myself. So I just try to like, you know, not be there or be, you know, just be really quiet and let them do their thing. And, you know, it's, it's even non, you know, what we think of intimate scenes, but just intimate emotional scenes. Like, yeah. Vulnerable. Scenes. Yeah. Anything. I, I'm just, you know, I just do my thing. I'm I'm just trying to translate the the vision to the you know through the camera to the screen for the viewers. So, yeah, it's um, you know, I just don't want to be a. I'm not. I don't. I think you just have to not be obnoxious or, yeah. you know. I can imagine people out there, and it must make actors feel very vulnerable. You know, but yeah. and there there and also I'm sure there are plenty of people who are making the scene about them as yeah. the camera person, you know, if you're operating yourself, especially, but, um, and I think there's <laughs> the idea that, um, I mean, I don't know about you. I'm sure you guys have done the same where I've been in some, some real serious pain <laughs> and, you know, been like, Nope, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hold it. 
like during this yeah. because they're doing something that like is raw or is raw or just like i don't want to have to ask ask them to do it again i can like with all this like like you said you want to just be there and not be known oh yeah yeah i've had my legs fall asleep yeah where you know (laughs) where the needles start just shooting up your legs and yeah you just have to hold it and yeah yeah well in the doc world you're often holding the camera for hours and hours and hours on end and you can't be like hey can you stop life (laughs) so shane what's what's your take (laughs) right it's funny, actually, it occurred to me that one of the big lessons I learned about this was with you working on my first feature documentary that Liz Nord uh, worked with us on. And it was, we were up in Portland, Oregon. We were making a, a documentary about the, the rock and roll camp for girls up in Portland. And we were at this family's house and they had just baked chocolate chip cookies. And we, we had decided beforehand, sort of naive young filmmakers, that we really wanted to just be a fly on the wall and like you know, as much as possible, not get involved in these people's lives and just, you know, try to, try to hold our own selves and personalities back. And this house just filled with this incredible chocolate chip cookie smell. And they invite, they were like, would you guys, you know, you guys want some chocolate chip cookies? It was like winter time, freezing cold outside. And we were like, no, thanks. We're just going to head out. Bye. See you later. Packing up our gear, just like walked out the front door. And then we all got into the car. And I think I don't, I don't remember if we had a conversation right then, but at some point afterwards, we were like, that was fucking ridiculous. That was like so rude to that family to, to not accept that offer. And yeah, and the whole idea of like trying to be a fly on the wall completely fell apart working on that film because it was, you know, a lot of it was about eight-year-old girls, you know, learning how to play guitars and they're in a room and they're, you're in the room with them and they're going to interact with you. They're just like going to goof around. They're kids. And, um, yeah. And so that idea of like trying to not be present doesn't work at all. And I find just, yeah, engaging with people, having a relationship and then, and then, you know, kind of withdrawing back behind the camera and letting them, you know, letting them do their thing. You don't want to like dominate the room, but, um, and there's so much technical stuff you're always thinking about is, are the batteries charged? Do I have enough room on this card? And, to, you know, you got to hold all that inside too, because that could be very distracting to the people in the Full room. Full disclosure, yeah, I, I paid Shane a hundred dollars before the <laughs> podcast to just like, give me that app tip. On, on record, <laughs> ethical. I was, I was going to say that's a great point about you, you, you do if you have a, an opportunity, you just have to do the extra work or take the extra time for those relationships, and and you learn the hard way. Um, but it's very important. I mean, you, you have to, you know, whether, I mean, you might only get three hours of sleep, but you know, you have to, if these people invite you, take them up on it and just be a regular person and then also towing that line between being removed, being, um, impartial, especially as the person who has the camera. A lot of times I'm sure you've experienced this too, but there's, there are plenty of times where, um, like I'm, I'm shooting a doc feature right now. And it's a very um, personal, like intimate, intimate settings. We're asking people, we're like prodding people to be like, tell us about some of the worst things that have ever happened in your life. You know, so we can't just go in and be like, blah, 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 tell us, you know, and that's, you know, that's Michaela Shore is the director. She would never do that anyway. But, um, you know, there's also that balance of it's just she and I. 
I'm doing the audio. Like it is, it's not a film that we can take a bunch of people into, you know, an ACE sound person. So because of that, you know, the people we are, we're developing real relationships. And so they end up addressing me um, as well, you know, and uh, that line of being gracious, being um, involved with this human that you're putting a camera in front of and also staying, you know, as stealth, like you said. Well, doing your job, right? <laughs> yeah, and doing yeah. your job. And yeah, and not eating all of the chocolate chip cookies. That's right. That you is know, important. Just one. <laughs> this is really making me want chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> um, so that was sort of on the the emotional side, and our listeners and readers love the technical side. So I'd like to know, for these films, what cameras and lenses you chose and why, sort of getting back to that director's vision question, and also what's your preferred, like what's your favorite kind of setup? I guess I'll just say my, my favorite, um, I, I prefer to have, I, I would prefer to have uh, an Aerie Alexa camera more than anything, but I think it's, you know, a lot of the sensors are kind of doing similar stuff. It's just, I think the area cameras just have um, the best, like as a camera operator, it's just, they're just made for camera, for camera people. So it really helps a lot. But for easy living, I wound up, you know, I'm dealing with a camera grant for a feature with Film Independent. And um, so I kind of got things kind of, we shot one of the busiest times in New York. It was uh, October, November of 2015. And we, we had a Panavision grant, and then um, they were just so busy. It didn't work out. Um, and, you know, I, lo- I love them. I have some friends that work over there. So we actually, our producer got a grant through Able Cine, and these guys really stepped up and got us a package. I think. They asked me if I wanted a RED or a Sony F55, and I said Sony F55 because I was fam- really familiar with it, and I know it has a good, um, like a color space that's similar to like an Airy um, Alexa package, but, and I was familiar with the camera, so I know how to navigate through it, and it was fine. And, uh, and we used Canon Cine lenses, and I had a Canon zoom as well because... I think I might have mentioned earlier the three women reference with Robert Altman. We were really looking at zooms. So I didn't pick up a zoom so much for using a variable prime lens. It was, it was really for zoom moves. So we, we so have retro. zooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I was really happy. I, I through, I mean, should I get into like the filters? I, I mean, I, I just classic soft. I'm telling you, people love this stuff. Yeah, Tell cl- us everything. So <laughs> we, if you saw the film, it's mostly, there's not like a lot of close-ups. I mean, we're kind of, it might be more medium close-ups, if anything. But I kind of lived on a classic soft eighth for everything. And then for a real close-up, I would go to a classic soft quarter. Uh, that's it. Yeah, yeah we shot... Um, we used a C300 for about half the interviews with, uh, I almost always use my Canon 2.8, you know, um, L series still, still lens, um, 70 to 200. 
lens. Um, and so, yeah, we did a bunch with the C300, which I didn't really like very much. And then halfway through shooting, my production company bought an FS7. Uh, so we used that for the for the rest of it. And, uh, well, now I have to ask what you didn't like about the C300. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I've been using a, a 5D up until then. And there were, I, I don't know. I just feel like the, just how things look in the viewfinder in the 5D is much more similar on the FS7 than it is in the, in the C300. I, I, I just found I was often surprised by my footage afterwards. Mm, which is not really what you want. No, no. And it, I'm, you know. Yeah, I think the C300 viewfinder is poo. Right. Is poo. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to quote you and there's, on that. <laughs> there's, there's probably scopes and things that I could have found in the menu that would have ameliorated those problems, but I didn't want to do that. I just want to <laughs> look at the, I just want to see what I'm going to get. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, for the light of the moon, we shot on Alexa classic, the EV, and, uh, we had ultra primes. Um, I think in large part because, um, you know, we, well, I should say that we were able to get a really great package because of people at VER cinema, which, um, you know, I, before, you know, before last year, probably I came up as a camera assistant in New York, a union camera assistant. So whenever people, whenever they said, Oh, VER, a different producer had said, Oh, VER. And I was like, I think they do like cables and monitors and stuff. Right. You know? And they were like, no, 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 they've, they've, they've had, they have a full like camera, these huge camera bays. And they're really like going, going more towards that, that side of it. They have a bunch of stuff and they have a real incentive to build relationships and to grow relationships. So luckily I had shot a commercial <laughs> a few months before, I think a few months or so before we started production on Light of the Moon. So I was like, remember when you said <laughs> you were, when, you know, budgets doesn't, budget doesn't matter. Just like come to us and see. I was like, well, I've got this uh, indie film. <laughs> and so they, they really came through. They were really, really amazing. So um, as we all know here, you know, having a, a rental a rental house that has your back with that kind of thing where I'm like, I really, it's a, it was a, a almost, almost all handheld film. I was like, I really need a wireless follow focus. You guys get us the press? You know, you mind get us the press? And they were like, nope. We said, whatever you need, we're going to give you whatever you need. So um, wow. that was really, really wonderful. Um, and it was, like I said, it wasn't all held, handheld film would have loved to have the mini instead of the, the classic, mm. but, um, thank goodness for easy rigs and they, I can't even imagine. I used to, you know, I'm from like the middle generation where I operated on, you know, 35 Arial T's and things like that without, there was no easy rig then. And I'm like, wait, why, why, why have I ever... <laughs> Those cameras are kind of balanced really well, though. No, they are. Like, like and that is, like shoulder. you were saying, like the ergonomics, they're made the, to be handheld. The newer digital, it's yeah. tough. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, whenever, whenever, you know, that's, they were like, we can't do the mini, we can do this. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, great. Um, so I love that. I love the Amira a lot, um, especially for some, like the more doc style commercial thing that is, you know, very popular now. 
it's similarly because of the ergonomics um, and also just the look the you can trust what you're getting like what you see in the viewfinder um, but I own I actually own a, um, a 4k Sony f5 which um, is great I mean I love I love that camera it's kind of like my workhorse and I can do commercial type projects on it I can shoot docs the doc I was talking about before that's what we're shooting on so yeah little little workhorse yeah the cameras you mentioned do seem to be the ones that come up over and over again yeah. sort of f5 on the doc side mm -hmm. and the aries on the narrative side yeah. um and thank you for reminding me i do have to give a little shout out to video facts in san francisco which as we were shopping for cameras they um one of the people who works there is a huge fan of Armistead Maupin and has been his whole life and gave us screaming deals on all the cameras we wanted to rent for the um, for that project. And, and that was how we kind of decided what camera to buy. I feel like this is a great, you know, tip, you know, unintentional tip, too, for our listeners is like these relationships matter. You know, be kind and generous with your rental folks and they probably will return that yeah, well, I mean, we are, we bring, we also bring them money. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, hopefully when you can, but not just the producers, but it also helps us. And, uh, you know, when a producer says like, oh man, we really need this kind of, kind of deal. Do you, you know, do you have any relationships? And I'm like, actually, I have someone that will stand behind me, um, which it sounds like you had experienced with Panavision before. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's important. I try to tell younger people like camera assistants and you know get gaffers and best boys like and 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 getting the producers on like smart producers will pay for the prep days and you got to get the, the guys that are part of the show in there to check out the gear and then even on returns if you can talk to your producer into helping out with the returns it, it's huge because they could, they could bring back a nice clean package you know, I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is just don't dump a bunch like of gear. Unclean. Yeah, be professional. Don't dump a bunch of unclean gear back in a rental house. I mean, you know, just, I don't know, for me, it seems like common sense just to have that relationship with them. Yeah. For sure. Life happens in 360 degrees, and now on Vimeo.com, so do your videos. Now you can upload, watch, and even sell your 360 videos on Vimeo. Vimeo 360 means immersive eye candy, immersive adventures, and immersive storytelling from the world's best filmmakers. Plus, Vimeo has a ton of helpful resources for all experience levels. How to shoot, how to edit, and even roundups of the best 360 video gear are available on the site. Join the new home for 360 video at vimeo.com slash 360. Um, this is kind of a fun question, not just for this film that you have in South by Southwest, but in general, What's one of the more kind of complicated shoots or shots that you've had to pull off, and how did you do it? So one of my first feature films I shot, I shot with Zach Horton, who's the same guy that I met Adam Kellerman through, uh, and he did a trilogy called the Disaster Trilogy, and our, our first movie we shot, I guess you'd kind of call this stuff like mumblecore, kind of, um, and our first film was called Airplane Disasters, and he did the whole film split screen. So on the left side, two thirds of the screen, we had a narrative playing out that was edited. And the right side of the screen, we first shot a shot for 90 minutes. 
what we, we I followed an actor up and down this we were in Northern California. I followed an actor up and down this mountain. So the right side of the screen is just this continuous shot of the act lead actor walking up and down this mountain. And, um, and it was like the hardest thing. And I had to shoot it sideways cause he wanted to make, take the two thirds. So I had to shoot the camera, like a vertical camera, like you would with your iPhone, but it was a, can't, it was an HVX 200. I don't know if you remember. Oh yeah. This was back in 2005. That was a yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so it was crazy. And I was so, my legs were like noodles cause just walking up and down hills and just trying to maintain a camera position. So that, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> oh my wow. God. Did that's you, dedication. I have to ask, did you have some kind of a rig for that camera? Cause that's, I, I, there's still a spot in the middle of my upper back that when I think about that camera hurts because it's yeah. so, no, it's, it's the yeah, worst, no worst of it. two worlds, yeah. like too heavy. No rig. I think, I think I might've had, I think I might've had like a little bit of a elbow brace on my stomach and I think it wasn't working and I dropped it. So it was wow. pretty much just hand holding an H or was an HVX 200 or was a DVX 100. I'm trying to remember. Probably it might have been a DVX 100. It might have been. That's a little better. I think it was right before the HVX 200 came out because the next yeah. film we shot in the HVX 200. All right. But it was, uh, so that was, that's a doozy. That's well, awesome. Did the shot at least come out awesome? I think it's kind of cool. It's very, this, this film was like very experimental. So it's only, you know, it's only for people that are interested in that kind of stuff. <laughs> but I think it's kind of cool film overall. And there must have been one edit in it to, because if it was a, DVX 100 that was only 60 minute tapes you could put in there. You know, I think if, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> old school. if I'm not mistaken, I thought we, I don't know, I thought we did it all in one take, but I think he wound up doing an edit for some reason to, to make it fit. Uh-huh. Try to find a, did he find a seamless, I just can't remember. I have to look back at it, but right. <laughs> <laughs> it was torture. Well, who can top that? I know. That's what uh, I'm yeah. saying. I was like, well, I didn't climb a mountain. <laughs> was there been anything a director asked you to do and you thought, I don't know, and you had to wing it or? That definitely. <laughs> but then once you, once you said that, this actually came to mind. This is not does not pale in comparison to yours. But um, I've been shooting um, this other feature documentary called Hard-Headed Woman that is about women in construction. So we're on these major union construction sites kind of all around the country. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard enough. It's, it's hard enough for us to get access to these places. Like the, the director, it takes her usually months to, to get access to these places. So it's, it's she and I, and there are bricklayers, there are pile drivers, there are iron workers. There's, so we're up on unfinished bridges and, you know, we're, you, we have to, and certain things you have to be tied off, you have to be at these things, but sometimes people don't do that as much. Um, and I have never <laughs> found myself afraid of heights until one time we were, um, we put our gear in, in the bucket of this bulldozer and it lifted it up to, I think it was like the fourth floor. Cause she was, a, a Vanessa was a, a bricklayer, is a bricklayer in Chicago and we, they were redoing a bunch of old brick, tearing it out, putting in new brick. So normally in a new building, they would have built a staircase. This was just a, a straight up ladder going up. Um, and so we didn't, I didn't think much of it. Cause I, like I said, I had not ever felt this thing of like, Whoa, 
<laughs> got up there and it didn't have like the safety. Um, I don't think they're required for like under six stories or something. I don't know. Um, and it didn't have like that back cage on the ladder. So it wasn't until about halfway up that I was like, oh, if I, if I, if I lose my grip right now, I will just fall backwards and die um, or be heavily maimed. Um, and so I had never felt that feeling of like, oh, this is what people talk about, that they like can't move. They like freeze up. So I was like, nope, just don't think about it. Just, you know, one hand over the other, one hand over the other. You know, you know how to climb a ladder. You've done it before. Um, and we got to the top of it and then I was fine. But then did you have to hold your camera? Not while I was going up because we put it in the bucket. So once we were up there, you know, then they have like scaffolding and they have protection okay. to, to fall. It was just the ladder. And I had just never been in that position before. So I didn't know to be afraid. <laughs> um, and then the next day we, I was like, she and I both, the director and I both, we didn't, we hadn't said anything to each other. Um, but we were like assuming that we would have to go back to up to that next spot. And it was the first time I've ever been like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can get up there. We need to find an alternative way. But luckily she, they had moved her to a different spot on the site. So it wasn't a big deal. Jess, if you could sit in the bucket and they could. Right. You honestly, <laughs> honestly, that was, that was going to be, if, if we had to do it, that was going to be my solution. See, DPs think alike. Shane, what you got? Not nearly as cool as both either of your guys. I hate to say it. Um, but um, it was a promo video I was working on for uh, a nonprofit in San Francisco. And it, there was somebody delivering lines while riding a bike down the street. So I was hanging out of the back of my minivan while my business partner, Arnie, who's kind of clumsy and not the best driver, was driving <laughs> the van. So that was scary. <laughs> Still, I think we've... we've We've all probably been in a scary 15 pass or something like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have like a key union key grip, like tie you in, right? You're just, no, no, the it was back. just me sitting. Right. Yeah. Sitting <laughs> on the back. Well, we always ask, uh, advice and I, I think I have a two parter here to wrap things up. One is general, you know, aspiring DP advice, but another is advice for directors about how, to or not to communicate with their DPs. So take take one or both. I have an insight that I came up with about being a DP. I was shooting in the Chronicle, working with a uh, um, uh, journalist, and he like dropped his pencil or something while we were working together. And I was like, "Oh, I can see you're not a DP. You you know you obviously." work with the written word and not moving images. And I, and it occurred to me, I was like, I bet there are no clumsy DPs out there. So that's a word of advice to an aspiring DP. If you're clumsy, find another career because you have to be physically capable to do this job. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, you have to like really long hours, little sleep. It's just, and, and grueling conditions. I mean, as, as you've heard here, I think, <laughs> I mean, I get excited about it and want to do it. <laughs> and I think that helps if, on that, on that note, it helps if you um, can find people that you collaborate well with and that you admire what they do or how they do it or, you know, their style, whatever directors, you know, their style or something. Um, that's, 
what makes that stuff possible of like putting up with the hours with the travel with the whatever is um, hopefully you're collaborating with people and creating relationships with people that you want to actually make things with um, and I think to directors especially if you're aspiring you know I mean I always will probably when I'm 65 still consider myself like an aspiring DP because there's many uh many layers many more tiers to to it but um I think if you're especially an aspiring director and then working with a DP who tends to be one of the more experienced people on you know like indie indie sets or whatever I think um you know have a lot of conversations and feel secure a lot of times directors will get um defensive and intimidated by the DP thinking that um and I'm sure maybe some DPs are just jerks but um intimidated by what you're what the DP is actually doing is helping you and collaborating with you and not trying to to take your to take your spot or take over your your role it's really like that is our job um is to collaborate with you and use us for what we're supposed to know and you we use you for what you're supposed to know and do you know and to not yeah it's a collaboration and that's a, that's supposed to be a good thing <laughs> that's great advice anything uh, anyone have anything to add yeah i think so if i was to give advice to young cinematographers i would i would st- say the keep it simple thing and which, which can cover a million things. So I'll say one thing for keeping it simple is uh, don't try to add lights to get rid of shadows. If you shoot something with one light or two lights, great. Don't worry about a single shadow. You'll never light a shadow shadows out of your frame. I just see it a lot with young people. So, and then my, um, for people that are for directors, up and coming directors, I think, um, maybe one thing is, is commit to the shot and then just do the multiple takes. Don't change something in the middle of doing a shot. Cause what's always, what always happens, it winds up getting cut together. Like I've seen it where they change props or they want the DP to change the lighting. And you have to be careful because once you start shooting it, they might want to cut both those things together and it just kind of becomes crazy. So once you commit, I almost think of it as like signing off, like you sign off. Okay. We're going to shoot this. Take one, take two, take three, take four minor adjustments with the actor, but the set is kind of locked unless it's something major, but yeah. Like have faith in your vision. Like Like you put a lot of, hopefully (laughs) put a lot of prep work into creating this world, you know, in that particular shot or that particular scene. I mean, it's never perfect for a, a cinematographer because cause we have this thing called the 90% rule. If you're 90% there, shoot it, you know? Don't try to keep... You'll never get to 100%. Fiddling, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I would say, I mean, as a DP, the, the, my biggest frustration with working with directors is just not having some time up front to kind of plan things out, like just expecting to be able to show up on set and be handed a storyboard or have no storyboard or, and, or, you know, just no discussion of what things are going to look like. And they, you know, they give some kind of vague reference to, to something they want it to look like, and then trying to scramble together and make that happen on the, on the fly 
where like a one hour conversation the day before or a week before would have made it really easy to execute. That's such a good point. I think there's a, this idea that like, oh, well that, that DP is really talented. So they just like walk in and can do anything. And yes, they may be talented, but that <laughs> odds are if you're referencing this person, they have become someone to be referenced because they've put a lot of prep work and the director and the producer and all that, they, they understand the importance of prep. Right. They, they know what piece of equipment to bring in order to make a certain kind of shot happen. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been there before where they just, they're just like, just hit the record button. Ugh. And I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not a diva in any way, but it's, it's cinematographers, I think, are kind of like actors. You know, you kind of just need to know where am I, you know? Yeah, what's and, the story? What are we doing here? When they say stuff like that's happened to me before, they're just like, just hit the record button. And I'm just like, uh, okay. Boy, that's offensive. Uh, yeah. Um, so just to follow up on that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you hit a you hit a real good a real good point. <laughs> well, now I feel bad ending on like a sour note. Um, Fucking director. No, we're saying we're saying like give us. Well, what's the best thing a director can do then, or, or what's a what's a good uh, experience you've had with directors? Well, I, I think getting to work on multiple projects and, and getting into that shorthand is like uh, it's like a dream come true. Uh, like how I've been working with Adam. Kellerman on Easy Living. It's just, it's the best thing I could ask for. It's just such a pleasure to get into that kind of working relationship. You feel like you're in a band or something and you're making some, yeah, going on tour, making some good music, you know? Yeah, I'd, I would say it's a, it's trust. Like the best thing that a director can, can give and do in the collaboration is, is trust. Um, and, you know, there's nothing like you're, that's basically what you're referencing. There's nothing better than that, that director trusting that if I say we didn't get it, even though I know that we are crunched on time or something like that, like if I'm saying we didn't get it, then, you know, just the uh, light of the moon would, would be like, all right, then we'll do it. We'll do it one more time. Um, you know, simple things like that, where you feel valid, you feel validated, um, and you feel useful. And I think that comes from, yeah, trusting themselves and trusting us. Cool. Well, you are each so talented and I know so busy at the festival. So I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing all these really interesting insights. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. Quite (laughs) an honor. (laughs) Thank you for listening. You can hear lots of other fascinating conversations on the art of filmmaking by finding the No Film School podcast in iTunes and, of course, by visiting us at nofilmschool.com. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can catch our Indie Film Weekly News Show, which comes out every Thursday morning and fills you in on everything you might have missed when you were busy making films. You can reach me on Twitter at LizFilm, and we are on Twitter at No Film School. See you on Thursday. <laughs>